As the official healthcare provider of Minnesota United, Alina Health is focused on keeping our loons in top condition. And with expertise in orthopedics, sports medicine, heart care, and more, Alina has the team to keep your family in the game too. The experts at Alina Health take the time to get to know you as a whole person, helping you achieve wellness for your mind, body, and spirit. It's an altogether better kind of healthcare. Learn more at alinahealth.org. everybody and welcome to Sound of the Loons presented by Alina Health. I'm Kendra D. St. Aubin and today I get to be joined by the one, the only, Mr. Callum Williams who's joining me, I believe, from his New York City chateau. I can see the uh, the walls, the art. You must have been to some fine theaters and art museums in New York since you've been spending time there, I can tell. Uh, well, that's putting it very, very politely. <laughs> I think I think we might have got on these from a garage sale, actually. So, uh... That's even better. Why waste your money? That's how I feel. I, I agree completely. Um, no, everything is grand, Kendra. Uh, New York City is wonderful. And um, my uh, my chateau, as you uh, very eloquently put it, uh, is now full of love and laughter uh, with our seven-month-old daughter. And uh, everything is sensational. And uh, it was uh, it, it was a really, really uh, interesting few few months over the last... Last period of the year, a lot of traveling and everything, uh, as you're more than aware. But uh, yeah, everything's good. How's things with you? Everything okay? Good. But I just want to ask you, have you like stepped on any squeaky toys in the middle of the night yet? I mean, you haven't gotten to the stage of Legos lying around. You know, you always see those like memes (laughs) and those things about people stepping on those really painful Legos and they make special like socks and shoes for when you Mm. use slippers when you get up in the middle of the night. You haven't gotten to that stage quite yet. Not, not quite yet. There's there's plenty of squeaky toys around and, and there's uh, plenty of things to fall over. I actually fell over something uh, when was it, a couple of weeks ago. <laughs> I don't know what time it was, three, four in the morning, whatever. You know, you're sort of trying to ninja because <laughs> our daughter is still sleeping in our room. She's still of, of that age and we're, we're mm-hmm. just trying to ninja around uh, at whatever time of the morning it was. And uh, me completely forgetting there was, there was whatever it was on the floor, I tumbled completely, went <laughs> down face first, uh, <laughs> tried so hard but did to, the baby stay you know, sleeping the baby stayed sleeping that is like the, so, when you, you have a full <laughs> no appreciation for a sleeping yep. baby in these moments oh that 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 was a success in itself but then do you know what, what the really irritating thing was was i went to the bathroom and everything came back got into bed the moment my head hit the pillow she woke up <laughs> she's, like, oh. <laughs> she's like well dad's already awake might as well awake. yeah yeah <laughs> Oh, I love it. Those are all good times. I know some people used to ask me or say like, oh, that was the best age. That was the best age. I was like, no, every age was the best age. There's no bad Mm -hmm. age. There's every step in the process of um, whether it's you being up and having sleepless nights, it's still, it's still the best age in the process. Yeah, I completely agree. Um, Like I said, right now, my my daughter Lily is seven months old and um, she is now an actual human being and is, you know, uh, interacting, uh, giggling, um we just sent her to to daycare yesterday for the very first time and i was completely 
I, okay, I was a complete and utter <laughs> puddle. I was a mess. <laughs> I just, you know, it, it's crazy, isn't it? How everything changes. And, and my concept of reality and life has just completely done a 180. And you do, you just would do anything for this little human being, wouldn't you? And, and um, handing, handing her off to a stranger, um, I, I had very mixed emotions about it. So it was crazy. And um, yeah, like I said, uh, it, it, it was um, not the best version of me. Let's put it that mm. way. Um, I, I was a complete and utter mess. But I think that's a great version of you because that just means that you have, you know, real feelings and real emotions. And, you know, <laughs> I mean, that that means you're a great dad. That's 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 a good version of you. I, I think it um, it confirms that I'm a human being. I yep. think maybe it's, uh, <laughs> is is the main thing there. But no, look, it's been it, it's been awesome. But uh, lots of traveling over the course of of the last couple of months, which is as you're aware, is hard when you're away from the little one. Um, uh, mentioned to you off air a um, moment ago. There's several commitments that I've I've not been able to do and, and not wanted to do as well because it's an important time in their life, isn't it? You know, the first year it's such a um, an age where um, development is critical and um, you know it it's it's a situation now where I, I remember when when we were working with Minnesota United I would always remember when we were flying commercially and it was me you and Jamie on the road and you and Jamie would always fly back at five six in the morning or whatever and I used to think you were nuts there's no <laughs> way I was thinking I, I, as people know I, I enjoy uh, a, a beer I enjoy uh, getting the crew together, production crew, commentators, everyone. I, I enjoy getting everyone together on the road after the game. And uh, and even on the Friday night before the game, I, I think it's important. Camaraderie is important on the road when, when we're on the road as much as we are. Um, and so I always used to enjoy, you know, uh, experiencing the city wherever we were um, on that Saturday night, um, which, you know, meant a little bit of a, a later wake-up call from time to time and whatnot. And there'll be times when you were already back in Minnesota. I thought you were mad. I thought, no way, that's crazy. I'm never going to do that. Now I find myself on every 6am flight that's possible. So it's <laughs> it's yep. crazy, but it, it, it's part of it, you know. But listen, talk to me about, about travelling because it's been a bit different for you over the course of the last month or so. Um, you've not been travelling domestically. You've been travelling internationally. Um, the Women's World Cup is, is a, a humongous global event. And it's been down under over the course of the last couple of weeks. I, as an Englishman, am delighted with how it's gone. Um, but talk to me about the experience of, of commentating on the Women's World Cup on site. You were texting me a couple of pictures um, after I asked several times, by the way, not happy about that. Um, and the experience looked incredible. You were in Sydney, Brisbane, Adelaide, I believe. Um, talk to me about football in Australia and how the Women's World Cup has been. Well, first of all, I have to say... Um... You know, it's when you do anything like that or those sort of events, and especially when you get to be on site for them, because I've done, you know, both, I've done it both ways in 2019. I was in Los Angeles calling the games off monitor. I didn't have the, the uh, privilege of being in France for that one. And then in obviously in 2015, I was in Canada, um, even though I was based mostly in Vancouver and didn't travel around Canada until the very end to Edmonton. It's still like you felt like you were a part of what's going on. So when you speak of sort of that camaraderie feeling too, you know, when you just are seeing these people every day in the hotel and you're going to breakfast and, um, you know, seeing everybody sort of recapping what's happened the night before and, and what's the day ahead and what's everybody's schedule and what game do you have next? And we, you know, talking, seeing like Heather O'Reilly or Carly Lloyd or Ari Hingst and Rob Stone and Alexi Lawless and all those people just eating breakfast at the same time and sort of just, you know, I will say one day I went up, I was in breakfast and there was me a ham and I was like, okay. 
<laughs> like that was like, like that for me, the 99ers, you know, where you're like, mm. that's like the real, no offense to any of the other very nice people that I get to be in and around, but when they're more like my age group, but when I see like a Mia Hamm was at breakfast, um, that was like a real moment for me just to see her. Um, but anyways, it was like, you just sort of are, you feel like you're part of a big event and there's a Fox set and there's, you know, you have to go to like a security briefing and a meeting and you get this and you get that. And there's different things that come along. Oh, the car is going to pick up at this time and whatever else. I mean, they do, they do it, um, an incredibly, incredible job considering the amount of moving pieces that they are taking care of and managing. Um, and maybe you got to see some of the games since you were maybe up in the middle of the night with the Lily, cause that's about the time zone. That's about the time the games were on, but um, no, it was, it was fantastic. And my broadcast partner, John, who I had never worked with before I worked with him one time called a game off monitor, a Copa America Feminina game last year where he was in Portland and I was in Minneapolis and we called a game. That was the first game I had ever done with him and haven't done one since aside from being sidelined um, for the Eastern conference finals and MLS cup. So tremendous going back to your point about family i mean he's got a wife and kids they're back in portland or were they're there now but so he totally understands and appreciates the importance of facetiming and you're on your way to this and you're on your way to that mm -hmm. and trying to spend time and trying to find that balance where you're together with your production team but you're also trying to navigate that so um i don't have a negative thing to say about the entire experience sydney itself and australia was amazing uh, the people are incredible um it does help that they speak English. So like you're in this other country, but yet you feel like, okay, I can figure things out. I can read a sign. I can communicate with people. I can order my coffee. I can do whatever else. Um, I'm still confused about the driving on the other side of the road. I don't want to call it the wrong side of the road because it's not <laughs> wrong. It's just different. And then there even people walk down the left side of the sidewalk. So yeah. it's like, yeah. okay, is that normal for you? Because That's I think that it took me like weeks to figure it out where I wasn't running into people. And then I got back to LA and I was on the wrong. I was still walking on the left and people are running right into me because they're on the right. So mm -hmm. I had to get used to going back to that direction. But no, I mean, it was, it was fantastic. The crowds were amazing. I mean, every stadium, the energy, everybody locally, you know, if they didn't have a horse in the race and they weren't um cheering for a specific country um showed up and showed up big every airport we landed in you know between melbourne brisbane adelaide and of course sydney um the flying in and out of those places you know the signage the billboards just everything really got behind um the whole tournament so it was it was a lot of fun it was cool to see the matildas go as far as they did it disappointed that they didn't make it a little bit you know they missed some chances and some opportunities but mm -hmm. England has kind of grown into the tournament as it got along, because I'll tell you what, the first England game I saw, I was like, Oh geez, they don't look great. And I did that game. Um, but they've yes. grown into it. So it was fun. It was amazing. And I think the biggest thing is, is like, I was just talking to someone this morning about it is, uh, we talk about parody all the time in MLS. I mean, the parody and the, the competition level within this world cup, as everyone's thought that the quality would drop off the more countries you added and things like that. And I think it's been, at least for the women's world cup has totally been proven opposite in that the quality of other countries that don't have as much support and aren't as, you know, uh, well ranked in the FIFA rankings as some of the others have totally stepped up their game and the quality of the play itself was like next level and um, really thoroughly enjoyed that, that piece of it. I always cheer for the underdog, but now mm. it was like, you would go into a game, not really legitimately not knowing who was going to win that game. And I think it proved um, accurate as you saw Jamaica get through and Columbia and 
some of these countries, South Africa, um, Nigeria. So it was it was a lot of fun. What was the um, what was the most exciting game that you commentated on, Kay? Well, I would have to say, and it's um, John Strong asked me this or asked me and our researcher guy, Eric, this um, after our our last maybe it was our last game. Oh, no, our last game was a home or was a in Sydney. So it was like one of the days we were sitting in one of the airport lounges or something. And I think it was probably South Africa or no, excuse me, South Korea, Germany because of the implications of that game and the energy mm. behind it. And even though South Korea knew they were, you know, they weren't moving on, but they had a point to prove they had kind of not done what they wanted to do. I think there was a lot of criticism. The coach was like really hard on them, which I wasn't like necessarily a huge fan of him um, and his like body language on the sideline and whatnot. But, um, and then knowing that if the, the Morocco, I believe it was Morocco, Colombia was going on at the same time, and that if you know South Korea was just playing for pride and for a result at that point, but Germany needed a result and the energy and the craziness down the stretch of that game and the energy in the stadium and seeing then Germany, I don't even think all the players on the field knew that Morocco had beaten Colombia and that that the fact that Germany didn't get the result, they were out in the group stage. So it was like they didn't know that. And so watching their emotions and reactions, because that just doesn't happen to Germany. And, you know, so I don't know. I think that was probably one of my favorite. The Columbia-England game was really cool in the sense that it was 75,000 people. It was probably 70, 30 Columbia fans. They had just followed yeah. that team. And they were so passionate. There's a huge Colombian population in Sydney and in Australia. So um, the energy there and sort of what the game itself wasn't the best game I did, but I think one of those that just the energy in the stadium was pretty, pretty fantastic. So, but honestly, I, I we would go into every game going, gosh, there hasn't been a game yet where we look at our schedule and we're like, this isn't going to, this is going to be kind of a, a clunker, you know, or like mm -hmm. a weird, every place you went, the energy was just so great. And, um, and you, you bring the energy, whether you're calling it off a monitor even some of our games at the IBC, the broadcast center, you know, would be at like mm -hmm. 1030 at night, 10 o'clock at night there um, because of them trying to get it in a good time for back home and, and for the rest of the world to see. And you still, you know, you just find a way. And when it's a great game, it's like, you know, and it's a world cup, you know, it's a, it's a big moment for somebody who's watching. So yeah, that's kind of sure. how you have to go into it, whether you're doing a high school game or whether you're doing, you know, I remember doing college games and like, I feel like when the PAC 12 network started, the only people watching were someone's grandparents somewhere, but like, it's a big deal to them. So For sure. that's kind of how, that's kind of how you have to go into it. And this is a world cup, but you know, it doesn't matter what time it's at, wherever it's being shown, like you come into it with the same kind of enthusiasm and energy. And it was a lot of fun. I have no complaints. It, it's um, whatever the game is, it always means something to somebody for sure. Um, and there's a, a wonderful passage which uh, is on uh, social media and various different parts of it um, with a, a commentator called Peter Drury. And um, I, I agree with, I agree wholeheartedly with his sentiment um, when he suggests that the game, whatever it is, means something to somebody. So when, when you are scheduled for a, a game that on paper may not necessarily be the, the biggest game, um, I think it is our jobs as broadcasters from an editorial point of view to make it that biggest game. But also it's important to have the understanding that, look, it means someone to someone somewhere. Whether you're a, you know, a Minnesota United fan, Chicago Fire fan, Portland Timbers, or, you know, you're the, the national team 
um, you're, you're the follower of, of the South Korean national team or something along those lines. It doesn't matter. It, it, it means something to somebody always. I think that's an obligation we have as broadcasters to to, to make it feel important, even though um, it's from a, a, a statistical point of view and, and on paper it, it might not be. Um, I, I think that's a bad way to, to look at it, to be honest. But um, it didn't feel okay as though there was any unimportant games. They, they can't be unimportant games at, at a World Cup. Um, but uh, whilst, whilst we're on this, this subject, I want to ask you about, clearly there is more pressure in the women's game than there ever has been. And that's a good thing, in my opinion. So what now for the United States? Because exiting in the round of 16, to my knowledge, the earliest they've ever exited a World Cup, what next? Where, where do they turn to now? You know, I think, um, and I know Andonofsky just officially, you know, handed in his, in his right. resignation and whatnot, which I think everyone thought was going to be coming anyways. And I'm not sure that, you know, it's it's like everything. You can't always just place blame on the um, the coach. It just, it's, it's not that way. I mean, are there some things that he maybe got wrong and tactically? And I've been listening to some other podcasts, you know, in and around the World Cup and even just talking to others um, in and around the set about, what was happening and not just Carly Lloyd, because she said everything she said publicly, but even other, other people like Ari Hinks, you know, who played for Germany and, and won world cups and understanding what their culture and how they view it and criticism and public criticism and whatnot. And um, I think for the United States, and I was listening to Julie Fowder the other day, who, if you talk about, you want to go to someone who's won it and been there and done that and lived it and understands it. Mm. Like she said, you know, she, arrived back in the United States and she went off to do the little league world series and everyone wanted to talk to her about it. And they were talking about moving on. And she was like, no, let's just sit in it for a minute because that's how you learn. I'm not ready to move on yet. You know, like you sit in it, you learn from it. You, you feel and embrace the criticism, the feeling of losing of, you know, you, it's like, we've seen other players. We've seen this with Minnesota United. Remember when Atlanta us open cup final, and they, some of the veteran players sat on the field, stood on the field and watched Atlanta get their trophies because there's something sometimes about feeling that you never want to feel that again. And so I think for some of the U.S. players without having ever been at that level and in that situation before, but just being a competitor, like sometimes I think that maybe that's what they need to do. They need to just evaluate that. And I think that's why people got mad that they were taking selfies and dancing after the, even the game that was a draw against Portugal. You know, I feel like people didn't, feel like they were really taking that hard as a competitor that they didn't perform the way they should perform that they didn't get the result that they needed and and then you know this wasn't just a millimeter penalty kick shootout loss to Sweden this was like three games in group stage where you didn't take care of what you needed to do so I think they just need to reevaluate maybe I don't know um what that looks like because they have this insane amount of talent and the world isn't catching up I think they've caught up I think they're there um and so they're going to have to figure out what is really meaningful. And I don't, you can't make someone be competitive. You can't make someone feel it. You can't make someone do that. So it's going to maybe take some leadership in this younger squad to feel that and to get to that place. I don't think it is just coaching and tactics and substitution patterns and whatnot. I think you have to have people that um, really just don't ever want to feel that way again. And I, and we'll see if that happens and you won't know until you get in this position again, you don't know until you get into the next major tournament. You really won't. There's no, there's no yeah. way in that setup in that path. That's going to change that. And CONCACAF's getting harder too, you know, so we'll see when they qualify. I mean, Mexico women didn't qualify this last time. So right. it's, it'll, it'll be interesting to see, um, you know, what happens in this next cycle 
And you cannot just rely on talent and you have to really have that grind and that want um, to never feel that way again. We'll see if that happens. There's no, there's no magical wand. It just, it's going to have, it's sort of an innate thing. And that's why Carly was always so criticized, you know, is because she didn't care who she stomped on in her path. Like she was, she had one goal in mind and that was to win. And, you know, I'm not sure that all of them have that same desire. I think some of them do, but um, we'll see mm -hmm. next time around, but Either way, um, it's going to be a fantastic final. It'll be a great one. I'm looking forward to it. Spain and, and England. Um, mm. You know, we'll, we'll see. Spain got trounced by Japan. I did that game, but they rebounded nicely and they look really good. And, you know, England has grown into the tournament and has some real quality, even though they're missing some major pieces. They have found a way. And um, I think Serena Vigman is fantastic. Um, mm -hmm. So, yeah, I'm excited. I'm excited for the final. It should be should be great. I know we've got, uh, we, we got to talk about the Leagues Cup. And so maybe you are going to be staying on here for the next segment. Because I think, <laughs> I think Adrian, Adrian's jumping on at one o'clock. And that way we can get our um, Leagues Cup conversation in since you guys have been deep in it for the last month. And I've not. So, um, but I, and then, you know what? We can talk about England too. Because I don't know. I know it came home, what? Was it 1966? As much as we don't want to relive yeah. it. I know you do, but I don't know if we do. Yeah, well, that was going to be my next question. I didn't realize Adrian was coming on in four minutes, which is hilarious because <laughs> um, I thought we had more time. But shocker, <laughs> you and I talking football mm -hmm. longer than we should mm -hmm. have done. Um, Serena Weidman, for yes. me, um, there was a suggestion um, today that the, the Football Association in England have said, actually, we're monitoring her very closely to possibly take over the men's program should Gareth Southgate uh, move aside over the next few years. That's massive, Kate. That's huge for a place like England uh, to recognise that. Um, if that were to occur, would that not be one of the biggest moments in the history of women's football? A hundred percent. And I mean, she is, this woman, all she does is win everywhere she goes, no matter what point she takes over a team. I mean, she did it with Netherlands. She's just done it in Euros. She's done it at World Cups. She's done it at Olympics. Like, is she just... And she played at UNC, um, you know, she did it herself. Um, so I just think like you look at her pedigree, but not only that, just like the guts to make tactical changes, the guts to make decisions and have hard conversations when we go back to communication, um, leave leaving players off that she doesn't feel are ready or are right for the group, you know, just making, but she communicates it correctly in huddles during injuries at halftime during stoppage time during this during that like in the huddle having real conversations and um and not to say that there weren't a lot of tremendous coaches in in this last women's world cup but the fact that you have a woman that's doing that because there's not a whole lot of women's coaches in this world cup let alone across the board um and then if she were to get hired for the men's job i think it would be massive and i'm not just because i also think she could be the best person for the job I mean, how many times have you and I said, it's, I want more women's coaches. I want more women's broadcasters. I want more this, but you have to be the best person for the job at the end of the day. And I think mm -hmm. if she could be that person for the men's side and it would be phenomenal, it would be next level. So um, we'll see what she does in the final, but I was incredibly impressed with her and um, I haven't heard, you know, a negative thing about her. So hopefully it, it comes to fruition and uh, first, they got to win the final because I'll tell you what, the U.S. would love to have her. I mean, we've heard rumors and mm -hmm. sprinklings yeah. of who
who's going to replace Andonofsky and who would you want, especially if it was a woman, a female coach, and her name has absolutely been floated out there, but I'm sure that um, England's going to do their very best to keep her right where she's at, whether it's with the men or the women. Get your paws off of her. No <laughs> chance. There's oh, no way. What a coup FA... that would be. And then they come <laughs> back no and win the way. World Cup. Yeah. There's no way the FA are going to let her go. There's no way. Especially <laughs> to the sad. U.S. I got to tell you one funny story before we get Adrian on here. I don't know if he's in the waiting room or not. But speaking of like sort of just sort of just vitriol against the United States in all fashions, Mm. We were watching the U.S. Sweden game in a restaurant, in a bar just down the street from our hotel. And it was John Strong, our producer, Zach, and our researcher, Eric. And we're sitting there watching and there's a couple, you know, U.S. fans sprinkled around. And then, but the whole bar was packed and there was people outside. Everyone was having a great time. Nobody else watching the game that's outside or anything, just watching it. Well, go some penalty kicks. And all of a sudden, every time the U.S. missed and Sweden scored, the whole place erupts. Everybody became a Sweden fan in that one moment. It was hilarious. I'm like, all of a sudden we were like, oh, okay. Like, where did you all, where did you all come from? It's funny. I mean, I'm sure you've witnessed that time and time again, when you've been in all these, you know, soccer places, even at Brits, I'm sure during the men's world cup, there's something about just this, people like to see the United States fail in, in any way, shape or form. And especially when it comes to women's soccer. Well, when it goes back to your earlier point about rooting for the underdog as well. And there's a similar situation with England from the men's football perspective. And when you go to these major tournaments, I remember going to um, Euro 2016, uh, France, and I had a, a couple of days where I was uh, a fan and um, was there with my, my wife and a couple of pals. Um, and we ended up watching, I think it was England-Russia, I think it was, on a huge screen underneath the, the Eiffel Tower. It was glorious. Um, Sounds and, terrible. Um, it, well, naturally, it rained, so <laughs> if that makes you feel better. Um, so we're all there in our waterproofs with a couple of beers and stuff. And it was grand. It was really, really good fun. Um, but when Russia scored, it felt like the majority of the, the fans there watching were all jumping up and down, celebrating against England. And, and I think it is, it's this whole superiority complex where, Obviously, the United States, the women's national team, have been the top dogs for a long, long time. Um, and England haven't, the men's side for England haven't necessarily been the top dogs. But there is there is an arrogance about the England men's national team, for sure. And I think a lot of people uh, are always OK with them um, when they are scored on. And maybe it's the same with the US women's national team, where because they've been so good for so long, people want to see the underdog do well. Uh, I don't know. But... Um, yeah, to answer the question, I've certainly been in those situations as well, for sure. Yeah, I know. And it's, you know what, that's what makes sports fun. That's why we love sports. You know, the nature mm-hmm. of the unknown, that you don't know who's going to win the game. You don't know the outcome. And um, it's moments like those. And Sweden's not necessarily like the poor man, you know, down at the bottom of the <laughs> totem pole. But it, but in general, um, every city we went to, we found, especially when we would have a team that was playing against a Haiti, a Nigeria, a South Africa, a Panama, you know, like, those those moments where people didn't have a horse in the race are for sure cheering for the underdog. I mean, the crowd, Columbia, the crowds would just erupt every time players from those teams would touch the ball and, and have an opportunity. So it was a lot of fun. Um, but yeah, we'll see what happens with the U.S. team. And I know we're going to switch gears here and talk a little League's Cup because I think that's been a massive part of the ma- last month. Getting on back mm. back on track. I cannot believe it's like crazy watching all these results happen and seeing like what <laughs> Miami has done, and yet they're still sitting at the bottom of the Eastern Conference. So right. I don't know if they'll find a way to keep 
keep going here once the the points actually matter towards the regular season. But um, either way, it's been fun to sort of see the messy mania and uh, the league's cup mania from afar. So um, we'll come back with a uh, segment number two. Adrian Heath is going to join us next segment number two coming up. We'll talk all things league's cup right here on MLS on sound of the loons. Looking for a way to get closer to your club? For just $25, Loons fans can join the Preserve, Minnesota United's official season ticket waitlist. Waiting usually isn't fun, but this waitlist comes with benefits. Being a member of the Preserve gives you early access to MNUFC single-game tickets, partial season plans, and group tickets, as well as special pre-sales for other marquee events that come to Allianz Field. Visit mnufc.com preserve to join. Welcome back, everybody. Segment number two of Sound of the Loons. This is like the good old days. We just have the band back together again. We've got Callum Williams. We got Adrian Heath jumping on. And then we get to kind of run through a new thing, even though it's the band getting back together again the new thing of League's Cup. So we're going to kind of rehash what League's Cup was, how it went. We all knew, you know, the promotions, the idea behind it, the competition behind it, the um, pause of the MLS regular season schedule for this specific tournament. Uh, but now we get to kind of hear it from the the horse's mouth, from Adrian Heath, kind of what mm-hmm. your take, because we know what it felt like from a promotional commercial standpoint and what the league was pitching. But from a coach's standpoint, how did you feel that this went compared to what you thought it was going to be, just the overall competition and the energy behind it? Well, I, I said before the tournament, I thought that the the tournament would ramp up as it as it got to the later stages, and I think that's what happened. Um, we got down to the last eight out of 47, so I presume another 39 teams would have preferred to be where we were when we were in Nashville last Friday. Um can't deny that that was a huge disappointment um, because, you know, up until the sending off, the game was really in the balance. But as I said to the players, I couldn't let that mask the fact that we gave three or four really poor goals away, which has been unlike us of late. But when I look back at the tournament, you know, we had some big nights. I thought we had a couple of great evenings at uh, at Allianz. You know, I thought the, the Puebla, considering we were down to 10 men for an hour to win the game 4-0, you know, and then we had the penalty shootout with uh, Toluca, which was another really good game. And then, you know, another man sent off. And then we had, and then we go to the Columbus game, which was a great game of football and had everything, you know, with the penalty shootout going ahead and then looking like we were going to get knocked out. So I think overall, I was pleased with the way that we uh, approached the games, pleased with the way we played, apart from maybe an hour of the last game. And I think overall the tournament's been a real, real success. Um, one thing I, I think we have to mention is looking at some of the attendances of some of the stadiums. I think that we can our supporters can give themselves a big pat on the back because we had great support in every game that we had at the Allianz. And to the extent that the Mexican teams mentioned the, the support and the atmosphere within the ground. So I think there was a lot of really, really good nights at, at, at home. Um and we all remember penalty shootouts when you win. 
not so much when you lose, but it was, uh, you know, they were memorable nights. Yeah, I think um, one of the, the main takeaways I've had from the whole League's Cup is that it, it's just been this wonderful mixture of the Americas for the very first time. And, and I'd, I'd certainly like to get Adrian's thoughts a bit, little later on about how we can capitalise on that. But in, in terms of the tournament itself, Adrian, um, I'm assuming it will, it, it will go down as a success for Minnesota. Yes, obviously it was a, a harrowing defeat to Nashville, but regardless, you've, you've done well and beaten a lot of very good teams um, mm. and you've shown a different side of yourselves on the international stage against the likes of Puebla and Toluca, have you not? I think so. I think also we've we've put the club in good light. I think everybody who came, Cal, and you know we had some of the South American journalists and commentators amazed at the stadium, thought the stadium was awesome, thought the atmosphere that we generated within the stadium was awesome as well. So I think that, you know, as I said, I think the club can take an awful lot of plaudits from the way that the tournament's gone. I actually think, Cal, this Kendra, this could be the beginning of a really big tournament. I think for the first time, everybody is fully aware of what Major League Soccer is about. I think there was always that thought that maybe two or three of the teams are not bad, but not as good as the Mexican teams. That was the general consensus, I would think. And now I think that that narrative has changed considerably. You know, the fact that we've got two MLS clubs in the final, the fact that you've seen some of the heavy defeats for some of the Mexican teams, I think all bodes well for the growth of the game in Major League Soccer. Um, and I think it's only going to be a positive moving forward. I certainly think if we do it again and we do it in the US, the Mexican teams will take it an awful lot more seriously than they, than they might have done coming into the tournament. When you look at how you approach this tournament, because again, it is, I know the MLS regular season is taking a month off, but it's still mm. a month in the middle of your regular season. When you're trying to manage minutes, you're trying to get guys back, you're dealing with injuries, you're trying to make your way up the table in the Western Conference. The way you approach the game and then sort of what the mentality of the group was, and then also now how you're coming out of it, knowing that you made a fantastic run, but now it's back to business and trying to continue up that Western Conference. What's that mindset for the group? How did it start? How did it end? And then how are now you going back into the regular season? Well, I think once we got over the disappointment of last Friday, that you look at the tournament as a whole and you go, where was it for us? And, I, you know, we've touched on some of the positives. I think there's been some really good performances. I think, you know, when I look at, I think Joseph Rosales has had a really good tournament. Bongi put his name probably firmly on the map in more than just the, the America. Um I think that people in South America now are fully in there, aware of Emmanuel Reynoso's talent. So there, I think there's been a lot of positives from, from a playing point of view, a lot of positives from the stadium and the, the game day atmosphere. But I think as the tournament progressed, the thing that for me was you saw how disappointed Monterey were when they went out. You saw how disappointed the Club America were when they went out. And I think that is a takeaway for me because... I've been here 13 years now, I think, in the States. And I remember maybe about seven or eight years ago watching Seattle get dismantled by Club America with a certain Darwin Quintero, you know, terrorising Seattle that night. The league has come an awful long way from that, you know, not just with the stadium, with the game day atmosphere. But I think when I look at the quality of 
players, the quality of the coaches, the quality of the tactics being introduced by some of the coaches. I think, you know, it's it's been nothing but a big success. As I said to the players, now we've got we've got you know seven in the next twelve games at home. We're probably going to have to win five of them, I would think. Maybe get another draw. So you know, we've got it all on now. It's uh, you know we've got Seattle, Colorado, San Jose, Sporting, St Louis, San Jose again, Galaxy, all Western Conference teams to play, everything to play for, and you know the fact that we've made the playoffs the last four years, Kendra. I can't tell everybody how much I want to keep that run going. I want to make it five out of five to be the only team that's done it. So, you know, we've got uh, got some really big games coming up. And uh, now we need the likes of Reynoso and Puki and, and Bongi. We need them to come to the fore and actually help us get over the line and give ourselves an opportunity again. A bit of a double pivot question here for you, Gaffer. Number one, you mentioned Bongo Kufre Slongwane. Um, first and foremost... Why did it work so well for him during League's Cup? And and secondly, what did you and your staff learn in League's Cup? Because it was, for the, for one or two of them, it was the first time they would have coached against international opposition. So what did the coaching staff take away from the tournaments? Well, I, I think one of the things that we've always thought, and it's something I've certainly thought of when I've watched Mexican teams play in the US, they're really, really tactical. They're very, very good tactically. I think that they they ask questions of you that not a lot of MLS teams do. You know, when I look at the Toluca game, you look at the difference of playing Toluca down 10 men in Puebla, it was night and day. You know, they they suddenly stretched us out all over the field. They put another body in midfield. So even though we were trying to, you know, go 4-4-1 four, 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 and make it tight, they wherever we had two players, they had three. Wherever we had four, they had a, they added a fifth. So I think tactically they they were very very good. I think also that their ball retention. They they take care of the ball and don't turn it over as much as MLS teams do. And I think that's something that we've we've learned that if you gave the ball away, like say to Toluca, they might string 60, 50, 40 passes together before you get it back. That never really happens. So it doesn't happen very often in the MLS. So that was, I thought, was a subtle difference. Um, I thought one of the, the positives from the MLS side was, I think, the athleticism, the pace of the game, and just the way that the MLS teams approach the game on the front foot, playing in your face, not giving you time. I think that was a little bit of a culture shock for some of the Mexican teams. You know, when the, some of the games got out of hand, when going to four and five, I think that was because of the intensity that the MLS teams bring. So I think they've probably learned some stuff as well, Cal. But you know, and I, I think anything that's a learning curve that you know that you've you've learned something from is is worth um, experiencing. But then, what about Fongwani as well? Why did it work so well for him? Well, he's he's, he's done it all season. He's getting himself in the good spots, you know, through his own endeavor, his own work rate, getting in them one touch finishing areas, getting right in front of the goal. Working off Puki when Puki makes that near post run and takes the the center off with him, can I exploit that space from the opposite side? And he did really really well at that. So uh, I think he introduced himself to a, a far bigger audience as Ray did. You know some of the stuff Ray produced in the tournament was exceptional. So yeah, you know I think it's been a good tournament from that point of view. 
And just to sort of put a bow on League's Cup before we move into the rest of the season for you guys, and you already previewed it a little bit in general, what you guys have coming up against Western Conference opponents specifically, but when you look at how the League's Cup is going to wrap up, and you said two MLS teams in the final, which I don't know that anybody would have predicted, but Hmm. would you have thought that – that it was going to go this way, that Miami would make the run that they did regardless of who they have on the roster, that a player like Messi and company would have made such an, an impact in such an immediate time when it's 11 guys on the field? Or would you have thought that, you know, Philly would go out the way they did, that Nashville would, um, you know, win that game the way they did? Like, how, how did you see this coming and what do you think of the final? I think the, the big surprise, you can't forget what with, about Messi. The big surprise has been Miami. The one thing I will say, and I think somehow it's been forgotten a little bit in the euphoria of watching Messi do what he's doing is, you know, you're talking about Busquets, 100-nod caps, won everything. You're talking about Jordi Alba, 100-nod caps, won everything. And then you're talking about the 322s. Their roster's not the same roster. This isn't the Miami team that's bottom of the league. You know, this is a completely different virtually team. I was incredibly surprised about um, Philly's performance. I think that they proved when they changed it again at half time and went back to what we all know Philly are and, you know, they make it so uncomfortable for you. I think that, hey, we're all experts in hindsight. Hindsight United has never lost a game. I know that. (laughs) But, you know, I think if you're in the quiet of the day, just ask Jim. Does he wish he'd have been able to go back to the way he started the second half? I'm I'm sure he would have said yes. Obviously, it was a big blow for I mean the likes of Carranza who was injured, etc. for them. But um, no, you can't take away that Messi's come up huge when they've needed him. Um, I think Joseph's had a new lease of life, and now where they used to turn the ball over in really dangerous areas and their own defensive half, they're very, very uh assured and very, very calm now. The keeper's had an unbelievable tournament as well. You know, I think he's one of the sort of un, unsung heroes, really, in the group, because I, I think back to Cruz's all game, they should, they should have been four down before, you know, Messi even came on the field. So, you know, they've, they've, they've done incredibly well. I still think Nashville might have enough on them, but I've said that against Philly and I said it against Dallas, so... Maybe I'm the fool here, but, uh, you know, it's going to be really interesting how it goes. Just um, one more on, on League's Cup. I, I think one of the most interesting things I noticed, Kay, as a, as a spectator on that Friday night when Miami played Cruz Azul, um, we, we have had some spectacular moments in this league over the years when Beckham signed, when Zlatan scored that goal, his first yeah. goal, when he volleyed it from 40 yards out. We've, we've had some unbelievable moments. Um, and, and yes, those clips went around the world but it felt as though it was limited from an audience perspective. It was very much out there to the domestic audience, which is great. But I think for the very first time, that Friday night fixture with Messi making his debut, um, it it felt as though it was a global event. Um, And and I know there were people in the UK watching. I know there were people um, overseas in Asia watching. Uh, I'm sure, Kay, when you were in Australia, people were, were watching as well. Um, it, it felt as though for the very first time, legitimately, the eyeballs of the world were on football in North America. And then Messi gave us the picture-perfect moment as well. Um, it, it's been sensational, League's Cup has. And, and I agree, Gaffer, I, I think it's only going to get bigger and better. I do think 
over the next few years, especially with the Copa America coming here to the United States um, next year, and then obviously the World Cup, I wonder is the conversation going to be had at some stage where we potentially see the introduction of the likes of Boca Juniors, of Palmeiras and Flamengo and what have you in the tournament. That that would be very interesting. But yeah. um, the question I have, um, I have for you finally, Gaffer, is uh, legitimately now you, you have to think about this. Next year, when Minnesota United play into Miami, what on earth do you do? How do you even begin to prepare to mark and, and limit somebody like Lionel Messi? Is there an answer apart from kicking lumps? Well, I'll give you a couple of things, Kel, which I thought of everything you said there was very legitimate. I think one of the things that surprised me, if somebody said to me, are you amazed Messi's come and scored the goals? He's gone. I've gone, well, he's got 700-odd league goals in his career. He scored one and two in Paris last year. He's just won the World Cup only four or five months ago. Right. Everybody has tried to stop him over the last 10, 12 years. I guess what? It's quite difficult because he's really, really good. He's, you know, I, I, I know I'm biased for my generation. I think that Maradona's the greatest footballer of all time. But we're legitimately talking about somebody who might be the greatest footballer that's ever played the game. No disrespect to Beckham, no disrespect to Zlatan. They aren't in that conversation. And, I, you know, going back to you saying that the world's eyes was on the North America, you, you're right, Cal, because of who it is. You know, this this guy has been incredible for the last, what, 10, 12 years that we've watched him virtually single-handedly win every tournament you can on his own. Seven times gold, you know, Ballon d'Or. Seven times. People forget that. Who are we talking about? So put him with some decent... Uh, co-stars if you like and you've got a pretty good movie coming along I think you know he's the guy's the guy's unbelievable I would think that uh, I can't wait for us to run out at uh, Allianz and see Lionel Messi playing against us and um, we'll see what we can do but also I will add I don't think this the team that you're watching now will be anything like the team that into Miami have next season as well in what sense I think that the three under 22 players will all be in the team and I think they will revamp maybe one or two other spots as well. Um, they've got un, undoubted pots of money. They've got an owner who's willing to spend it. They're only going to get bigger and stronger. Um, so, you know, Tata did it before when he, he had that group of really talented players in Atlanta. He's going to have probably a better cast to work with, I would think, next year. So I think everybody's on warning. We know what's coming, and um, but the great thing about it is there's probably three or four of the teams that are not going to stand, stand idly by and let them go and do that without putting up a fight. So great for the league. I think, you know, there's nothing that's happened in this last month with Messi and Miami that's been bad for the league. I think it's been fantastic. I just want to say, too, I think, too, uh, how much does it say about Messi choosing to come to MLS, and I know this has been rehashed, but now that you're seeing even more players move to Saudi Arabia and players like mm. Neymar and the numbers and the fact, and then maybe they're sitting over there, even Ronaldo might be sitting over there going, wow, look at how much fun Messi is having over there. He's not making a billion dollars a year, but his family is happy and he's hugging his kids yeah. after the game. Like you can't put in a number and a value on that and how much joy it's he seems to be having in this league. I think that's one of the few things, Kendra, that has stuck out more than anything for me. You can tell he's enjoying being where he is. You know, his reaction when the young kid 
um, what's your name, Marashka, whatever, mm -hmm. a young boy, 17, 18 year old, when he scored the winning goal against Dallas and Messi's running over. Can you imagine for a young Argentinian kid, Messi's running from the halfway line to jump on your back because you just scored a goal? Mm -hmm. I think, and that for me has been the huge surprise that he looks as though he's really enjoying his football, enjoying where he is. You know, I saw the quote from Tata today saying he's far more relaxed and happy. And that's the way he's playing. So uh, it's going to be tough for uh, Gary, uh, Gary Smith and all the guys the the weekend. But uh, no, no doubts, Roger and uh, Steve Guppy will be coming up with a plan. And uh, it should be a great evening. Great atmosphere, I think, as well. I'm sure Walker will give him a few kicks here and there. I'm sure, I'm he sure he's, he he's, he's not opposed to doing well, I think that. It, I think it was Jim who said that if we only tackle him once in the first half, we'll lose the game. So I see <laughs> that... Uh, you know, that the other night Philly didn't let him have it all his own way, but that's the only way sometimes you can stop these great players. Speaking of great players, you've got quite a few on your roster and moving on to the rest of MLS regular season, you've got New York City coming up. We've talked a lot about Western Conference opponents. You go East first, yeah. but what does this team look like? What's the health of the group? How does everybody seem to be fitting in? How is the group that hasn't even played necessarily much MLS yet um, transition into MLS from Leagues Cup, and what do you see from this group in the second half? Not even second half. You said it. What do you have? Twelve games left. Twelve Crazy. games left. Yeah, we've got seven at home. As I said, we're probably going to have to win at least five, I would think. Um, so you know, we know what's ahead of us. New York City, or what they are, you know, they've changed the shape pretty consistently. You know, they've had a back three, then it's become a back four, then they've had three up front, and they've had two. I think the fact that Maxi Morales is back, I think. I would think that he would be introduced in a number 10 role, whether that be with a back three or a back four, I don't know. But we know what they're going to be like. They'll spread us out. They want to play with the ball and they're really good with the ball. Obviously, we've watched some of their video and we think there's, there's certain areas where we feel as though we can maybe uh, work to our advantage. But the most important thing is the way that we approach the game. I know that if we're going to, realise all our ambitions between now and the end of the season. The likes of Reynoso, Puki and Bongi have got to continue uh, playing wild, scoring goals. And if we do that, we'll give ourselves a chance. But hey, now, uh, as I say, we've got uh, seven games out of 12 at home. It's in our own hands. Um, let me ask you about New York City FC a little more in depth than Gaffer, because everything seems to come from the centre of their midfield, which has been occupied by James Sands and Keaton Tyler yeah. for the majority of the campaign. Now, obviously, they've sold a couple of players. Pereira went over to Qatar in the Middle East in a big money move. Um, they've, they've replaced him, sort of, with Julian Fernandez. Julian Fernandez, who's coming from, from Belez Sarsfield, only 19. Um, are, are they lacking a little bit of depth in the wide areas now? Because Talish Magno uh, was, I think, more suited in a, a wider role. Isn't a traditional winger, is he? He's much more of an inverted player. Yeah, and he's he's played centre forward a lot for him this year as well, Cal, like yeah. a withdrawn nine, if you like. And I, I think, as you've just said there, that the one thing that the uncertainty for us going into the game is they have changed it an awful lot. They've been inconsistent in uh, consistent in the inconsistency, if you like, of their their starting eleven. It's been, you know, a back three with five in midfield with two up top. Then it's been a a three four three, then it's been a four two three one. It's you know, so whatever team they put out, they generally try and possess the ball. They want to be a possession oriented team. They try and get their little overloads, whether it be in wide areas or through the middle of the park. Um, 
I think it's 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 morphing into a new group. Like we knew what New York City's team was really, didn't we, for three or four years, like you just said. It, this is changing a little bit now. Um, it's changing off the field as well because we're going to a new venue, which, which is something which is unusual. Um, but, hey, it is what it is. We know that they're going to be good with the ball. Can we make them... Uh, the most of our opportunities that arrive when we have the ball, because I do believe the way we can set up against them would uh, cause them problems. And then just last one for me is how does this team, you, you mentioned Pookie and you mentioned Reynoso, you mentioned Bongi, but how does this team get over that hump, not just making the playoffs five years in a row, which, you know, it, nobody has ever done, but also getting over that hump. Who else needs to be more consistent for you. Not even that has to be like stellar and, and fabulous, but just you need more consistency from to help this team get over that hump. And it can't just be, you know, the yeah. the guys up front. Well, I think if you look at Fraga's year, Fraga's oddly scored all year, which is not like him. He's normally in between that six and 12 goal range and, you know, making plenty of assists. His, his season's been a little bit inconsistent. I do believe... Sony Dotson is nearly back to what he was prior to his ACL. He's been really good in training. So we're going to need his drive, his physicality. Can we now get, introduce Ethan Bristol? Can he start to give us some energy down the outside on the left-hand side and start to deliver balls into the box? You know, for me, if we can get two or three to assist with the with, we know that Reynoso can play. We know that Pookie can score. We know that Bongi's scoring and playing particularly well. Can we get a Sony to really get to a top level in a Fragapani? Get another goal scorer on the field. If we can do that, we will give ourselves a really good chance. I'm curious, Gaffer, uh, if you're going to ask, without giving too much away, um, if you're going to ask the, the double pivot, which I'm assuming you'll go with, as you often do, to be a little more reserved, because it, when you look at the NYCFC team, it looks as if, for the, for the most part, and Kendra and I have, have done them sporadically over the year, but they get the majority of the wide threat through the the overlapping um, yeah. fullbacks with the likes of Ilinich and Kufre, or sometimes it's Tavon Gray. Yeah. Now I'm wondering, is there going to be an overload in midfield with that three behind the four, with the likes of Rodriguez, with the likes of, of Talish Magno and now Maxi Morales? Is yeah. that an area of concern for you? Well, it is. And 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 what they've been trying to do, Carla, when they've gone with the three, they've got the two wingbacks as high as possible. So they're occupying your fullback. Then their two wide guys then come right narrow and they nearly have a box in midfield. So you, if you've got a box in midfield and all four of them can handle the ball, you have to be in really good spots. Like you say, you've got to be really, really disciplined. Our two centre-backs have to know when to go and close into the middle of the pitch because obviously the two wing-backs are, are keeping our full-backs occupied. So, yeah, they will ask a lot of questions of us. We need our good defensive block, which we've had at really good times on the road. You know, people talk about the Colorado, uh, the Columbus game. I thought our defensive shape was excellent against a really good Columbus team who play very similar when they play wingbacks to New York City. Now, discipline with the ball, without the ball is going to be huge. And then them little moments. You know, it's always the little moments in games, that little percentage here and there can you take your opportunities when they come can you defend well for periods of time which you always have to on the road and not give anything up if all that happens and we do what we've done we've proved I think there's still only two teams that got more points than us on the road in the league we've proved we can do that but that's what we're going to have to do again 
Well, Adrian, Cal, I appreciate you guys taking the time. I'm just going to get a prediction on the uh, the final, and then you guys, not the World Cup final, I won't make you do that. I just need a prediction on the uh, League's Cup final from each of you, and then we can get out of here. Hey, Cal, have you noticed she's not mentioned the Lionesses in the final? Steered <laughs> hey, straight right. away from the, women, hey, the U.S. national women's team. Hey, all we heard was it's a three-peat, it's a three-peat. Not one mention. Have you noticed, Cal? Hey, trust I me, I heard plenty of that over there too. All about the three P, and then <laughs> I had to, I had to live amongst the group over there uh, when it didn't happen. The stressing. Yeah, well, of that. It, it, have you ever been to... around? Have you ever been around Ben Grossman when he's stressed out? No, no. <laughs> so football's coming on. The women will win this weekend, yeah. and I think, yeah, I think it will be really tight. But I think Nashville just might put one over them. Um, I, I agree football's coming home and England will win the World Cup. Um, <laughs> with regards to League's Cup, I just can't I can't look past Lionel Messi and him doing not one, not two things, but three, four, five things individually. Um, Sergio Busquets, as you mentioned, Gaffer, has, has just provided him the ball so many times yeah. uh, in between the lines when he's when he's in between um in between the lines and Either side of, I'm assuming it'll be Dax McCarthy, who's going to be a very busy boy um, looking after Lionel Messi. But uh, I just can't look past it. I really can't. So I'm going to go Miami 3, Nashville 1. Ooh. Here's one for you. Um, Maybe I'm going to to be wrong. I think that Nashville will play a diamond. Mm -hmm. I think they'll have somebody who gets all over Busquets and then that will allow the bottom end of the diamond to get in and around Messi. And then the energy from their white guys, you know, whether it be Schaffelberg, whether it be on the other side, Shaq Moore. So, yep. uh, yeah, I, hey, I'm going to throw my cards in here now. I want, I want Gary Smith to win. I want Nashville to win. Well, you know, and the other thing with that too is you can't forget Annabelle Godoy because he's not afraid to, you know, no, mess, he's not mess afraid. it up a little he, bit in there. Yeah, he, he's not going to be standing on ceremony. Don't worry about that. He's going to get around <laughs> everybody. He might be holding on tight to not get that red card. That might be it. Well, good to see you. Thank you guys both for joining me. Have a good rest of your day. And uh, I look forward to chatting with you again. Sound of the Loons presented by Line of Health. Thanks, everybody. Cheers. See you later.